Hey guys, welcome back to The Treatment Room. I'm your host, Tessa Zolli. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so impressed with you guys and just the effort and energy that goes into your continued education and commitment to bettering yourself, self-development, and self-improvement. And it's just really amazing. I say that all the time, but I'm really blown away by the passion and just dedication to constantly improving in this industry. So thank you guys for tuning in. I have an impromptu Q&A episode for you today. I love to post question boxes on my Instagram, and if you have questions, go follow me there, at my Tessa, and you can always submit your questions to the question box. I usually post at least... <laughs> one a week because I really like to get a feel for what's on your mind and any pain points or questions that I could help answer. This was such a great mix of questions. There are some kind of fundamental basic questions in here as well as questions that translate to really anyone no matter your level that I think are important to talk about. So I'm so excited for this. Thank you guys for submitting these. I say let's go ahead and get right into it. So one question I got a couple times was, can you go over step-by-step what goes into a facial? And if you're, you know, a more experienced SD, you're probably like, of course, (laughs) I already know. Something I want to touch on that I think is important for all levels and for us to kind of recognize as a whole is that there's no one-size-fits-all facial. There's really no standard. Although, I mean, there is kind of like a signature facial that you'll see that's relatively similar in a lot of spas. And I will touch on kind of a basic facial protocol. But first I wanted to say, I think the best facial you can offer is really what fits your unique business and serves your clients. And I'll give an example. So I go see an esthetician. He is pretty well known in our industry. His name is Douglas Preston. He is an acne and anti-aging specialist, as well as a friend and mentor to me. He's been on the podcast a couple times. Definitely encourage you to go back and listen to his episodes. He's so insightful and I just, I love him. I think of him like family. But Douglas Preston owns an acne and anti-aging clinic in Los Gatos, California. And I do drive a little ways to go see him. And I kind of have to block off my whole day when I go get a facial with him to account for the drive there and back. And I know we like to chat and for the treatment itself, by the time I get back, you know, it's usually later, later in the day, not too much time for anything else, but I'm committed to seeing him monthly. And his facials are incredible, not because they're the most elaborate or even the most, I don't know, the facial that incorporates all of the add-ons in the world. That's really not him. What his facials are is highly efficient and effective facials for my specific need as an acne client. When I go see Douglas, who, by the way, he has manufactured his own tool. In my opinion, it's the best extractor 
on the market. He is one of the top specialists in the country when it comes to acne. So no one better to create a tool because he really understands congestive acne and what's needed to fully remove an impaction in the follicle. So he created this tool and this tool is very important to his practice because it makes the whole process very efficient. I will link the tool below, by the way, and I'm happy to promote small businesses, experts that I know and love and trust and that I know will be a benefit to you guys. I'm obsessed with this tool and it's part of the reason why I drive to see him And again, it's not because it's the most elaborate facial on the planet, but it's the best facial to me because it addresses my needs. It's usually a 40-minute treatment. It's a cleanse, a light peel, extractions, a little bit of high frequency, and that's kind of it. It may not sound, you know, like something completely different, but what makes it special is that it's very effective. So I just wanted to explain that because I I think estheticians should feel empowered to create treatments that are efficient for their businesses. So your facial doesn't need to necessarily look like the person's down the street. It could be shorter. It could be longer. It really just depends on your client needs. And I just I just think that's kind of interesting to point out because his facials are top dollar. They're relatively short, but people love it and come back for more because it addresses that one thing they need, which typically for congestive acne is some good extractions, especially with closed comedones. We got to get them out. So that's something that I think is interesting. When it comes to a signature facial protocol, I'll go over a little bit of a basic one with you. And again, I think this is for students who maybe haven't gotten the experience of a facial. So if you're well-seasoned, you can skip past, but I'll just walk you through kind of a basic one. Okay, your client comes in, you collect their intake form, you're going to go over all of that information to make sure you understand any allergies, medications they're on. If you're not familiar, you can do a quick little little research on the medications and potential implications for the skin. You want to understand what topicals they're using, especially prescription topicals or, or any type of exfoliant or retinol. Okay, you have their intake form. You walk them to the room. They change. Okay, they're on the treatment bed. You come in. I like to start with a cleanse, which I think is pretty standard. I like to do the skin analysis after the cleanse so I can really see the skin, and that way if they're wearing makeup or a tinted sunscreen, I can really see what I'm working with. So we're going to start with a cleanse. It could be a single cleanse. It could be a double cleanse. I'm going to remove the cleanse and bring over my mag lamp. Then I'm going to do my skin analysis. And you should definitely spend a few minutes doing the skin analysis because, again, you want to know what you're working with. And with acne, sometimes you need to, like, look in different lights. You really got to examine 
touch with your hands. That's a huge luxury of being in the treatment room. I work all virtually on my clients and there's a lot we can accomplish. But if you can touch the skin and look up close, take advantage of that time. I hear I hear this so often from estheticians who say kind of the format of the spa is just so quick and people are so in and out that they don't feel like they have time for a thorough skin analysis, but it really is important and it can save you from trouble. So take a few minutes. It's so worth the time. So I'm examining their skin. I'm pushing the skin to see the elasticity level. I'm looking at pore size. I'm evaluating dehydration oil. I like to check in in kind of sneaky areas like around the ears, under the jawline where acne can hide, on the neck. I've noticed with more people wearing face masks that heat occluded on the skin is is exacerbating acne kind of on the neckline where the mask can overlap. You want to look up at the hairline. That's where breakouts can can hide. So you're you're basically just doing your due diligence to make sure you know what you're going to try to cover in your treatment. Okay, so we've done the skin analysis. You're probably asking your clients questions. I like to get a good understanding of what exactly they're using top to bottom. I go through every product with my client. So you can do that during the treatment if you can't fit it in in a skin analysis if you don't have time. You can do it throughout the treatment, but hopefully before any more aggressive exfoliants. Okay, cleanse the skin. This is typically when spas will turn on a little a little bit of steam if we're using steam, which I wouldn't use it on a rosacea client. I'm turning on the steam, and typically this is where we will apply something to soften the skin. It could be a disincrustation solution. It could be an enzyme. Some SDs will even do a light chemical peel before the extractions. I've always worked in spas where we did it after extractions, but I know it's flipped for some people. And I should specify, you want to follow your, your manufacturer's instructions. Again, this is just a basic signature overview, but if this conflicts with a protocol you have from a brand manufacturer, please follow that. Okay. So we're steaming, we're applying something to soften the skin. And of course, pores do not open and close. We're just softening the skin so we can get some really effective extractions done. You've probably noticed if you go right up to your skin in the mirror and try to do an extraction, it's hard to get out. Your skin might experience a little bit of trauma because the skin isn't softened and that oil and those dead cells on the outermost layer are hardened. So it's much easier to get that impaction out when the skin is softened with a little bit of steam and something like an enzyme. So if it were me, if I were with my client in the treatment room having the steam and the enzyme, whatever it may be on the skin, I would like to sneak in a little bit of massage here. This is a great time because your client has just come in from, you know, their busy life, whatever they were doing, work, etc. This is a great time to give them a little 
relaxation, even if you're running a more corrective skincare practice, there's no doubt that relaxation is so helpful for the skin. And we know it's the number one trigger for rosacea. It's a close second for acne behind hormones. But any type of inflammatory condition is going to benefit from relaxation. So this doesn't have to be some huge elaborate body massage, but maybe just a little bit of massage on the neck or on their arms. Even just pressing the shoulders down is so powerful. Even a little light scalp massage. Honestly, people just want you to touch them and rub their face. So if you're not super skilled when it comes to massage, it can be so basic. It can be a little arm massage on their forearms. That feels so good. It could be a little hand massage. I think it's these little touches of adding more to the treatment where you can instead of just sitting there and letting them steam or just leaving the room because, you know, the steam is on them, which um, has happened to me in facials. It's those little things that communicate you're with them, you're not leaving them, and you're invested in that allotted time. So I think a little bit of light facial massage goes a long way just where you can squeeze it in. Okay, steam is on. We've done the mask. Now, after a couple of minutes, you're going to want to remove. Now that the skin is softened, or if you've done a light, keyword light chemical peel, you can now go into your extractions. We want to extract those non-inflamed breakouts for the most part. This is blackheads, whiteheads. If something has an inflamed face, I prefer not to touch it because that impaction is deep and you might notice with more cystic nodules or pustules that have a lot of blood surrounding the infection, I prefer not to touch those with my extractor. Okay, but you want to do your extractions. Be thorough. Again, you want to check in those areas that aren't always obvious to the naked eye. And remember, the next day the client is going to be inspecting their skin as we all do after a facial and it's not realistic to get absolutely every you know clogged pore but for the most part you just want to be thorough and you want to communicate your being thorough by really scanning the skin having your fingers your clean <laughs> clean hands on the client and you're looking you're touching if there's something you're not going to extract, you might communicate that like, hey, just wanted to let you know this this breakout is a little bit inflamed. We're not going to touch it because it is too deep and we don't want to cause any permanent trauma to the skin. So we're going to do some calming treatments and we're going to attempt to kill some bacteria today, but we're we're not going to touch it and I just wanted to let you know. That way the expectation is addressed so they don't go home the next day and think like, why didn't she extract this huge hormonal cyst? And they understand it's not due to your negligence. It's It was intentional. Okay. And extractions, I think, can be a more challenging area of facials. And I think, again, the best thing you can do is really set the expectation for 
for what you're going to do in that treatment. And you may also say something like, you know, you're, you're a little bit more congested than normal than how I normally see your skin. You might talk to your client and you might ask, has anything changed topically, any changes in birth control or any supplements you're taking? And, and that's a good way to just start the conversation. And I think people appreciate that that you're really just trying to go the extra mile and understand, especially if their skin looks different than it has in the past. I think it's also important to set the expectation of really just how much you're going to cover in the facial. You might say something like, we're a little bit congested here. (laughs) I am going to extract everything I can and get as much out for you as we can and as will be beneficial to you. I don't want to overwork the follicle. So it may take a couple treatments. I'm going to ask you to come back in three weeks and we're going to do another round of extractions. I'm also going to give you some home care. So hopefully the next time I see you, things will be in a little bit of a better place to receive more extractions. And I think just setting that expectation is what will save you in the long term. I've shared kind of a horror story of mine, which happened when I was brand new to aesthetics. And I didn't necessarily do anything wrong in the treatment itself. I spent about 10 or 15 minutes on extractions, which I think a lot of us would agree is pretty standard. But the person who came in had a different expectation. And part of that may have been because she was from another country. And I know aesthetics can really vary based upon, you know, where you've studied and and kind of what is the general norm. But she was really surprised. And I didn't find this out till after the treatment. She was really surprised I didn't spend longer on extraction. So I left the facial thinking I'd done a fabulous job, giving myself a little pat on the back, go to take my lunch break. Then I start to hear yelling in the lobby and I overheard her saying, you know, she only spent 10 minutes on extractions and this person was very, very upset. And I never forgot that. And it actually really bothered me for longer than it should have. And if something like this happens, we have to let it go, forgive yourself, move on. It happens to all of us. And what I took away from that experience once my little bruised ego recovered a bit was that the issue could have been avoided had I set the expectation. Had I said, you know, I want to make sure we give you as many extractions as is appropriate. When we overdo it, you know, sometimes I can notice more purging or the skin just gets overstimulated. And I don't want to do that today. So we're going to spend a thorough amount of time getting everything out we can today. And I'm going to ask that you come back in three, in three weeks for more. That would have been a better way to set the expectation. So the client was clear and that just helps them avoid disappointment. Okay. That was kind of a ramble, but extractions, I think is where there's more room for error. Okay. Extractions are done. You might kind of wipe them down with a gentle, wet, warm towel or a little bit of toner just to make sure you get any of that 
fun debris and matter that's been in the deeper layers of the skin, you remove that so we have a clean canvas. Now, again, I know this is different, but a lot of SDs would do a little chemical peel at this time. If you've already done it, that's okay. You can remove you know, what you need to remove. Hopefully it's not too bloody of a situation. Um, if you are performing your peel, you apply your peel with a little fan brush or however the manufacturer instructs you. Might be with a little gauze and it could be a self-neutralizing peel. It could be something that needs to be removed with water. Maybe it needs to be neutralized with a toner. So you're going to follow the instructions here and remove the peel. Then this is a time where I know a lot of SDs including Douglas would do a little bit of high frequency and that helps to kill bacteria and calm inflammation. So this would be a good time to say if you haven't extracted something like a more cystic nodule, you might say, so we're going to address, you know, this this breakout with a little bit of high frequency and that's going to help calm it and you'll notice tomorrow it's going to be smaller, less inflamed, and we're just going to speed up the healing process. You're going to do your high frequency where needed. And I do think high frequency makes a big difference in the purging clients can experience after. They're not too expensive. There are a lot of different sites like spa and equipment that you can get high frequency from. And I prefer to get a high frequency machine from a professional retailer. I know they're on Amazon. Some people say there's no difference. I just tend to believe and prefer um, getting equipment from professional manufacturers. But anyway, you do your high frequency. And then this is a great time to apply a little mask. It might be a hydrating mask. It might be a more calming clay mask whatever you choose. If you are somebody who really struggles with a tight schedule, you could you could skip the mask. I don't think it's crucial. I think it is nice for the relaxation and for those people who just want to feel like they're getting a longer treatment. Masks can be really nice, but I don't think they are absolutely crucial. Um, it's just a nice a nice touch if you have time. You could also send your client home with a little mask if that's not something that's part of the treatment. Okay, do what you want here. And again, the key is really customizing and making the facial unique to the client. I don't recommend giving the exact same facial to every person. There should be some element of customizing. And I think that's really what keeps people coming back for more. If people start to feel like they get the same exact thing every time, not necessarily a bad thing, but I think there are ways to kind of spice it up and, you know, offer some unique treatments just at least once in a while. Okay, mask is on or it's not. You remove it, maybe you do a little massage while the mask is on, and then you're really going to apply your finishing products. Some people might like to do a little finishing uh, facial massage at the end. You might like to do that to do that before the mask. It's really, there's no wrong answer there. I wouldn't do a ton of facial massage if I had a high grade of acne client or if I had a rosacea client. 
it's too stimulating and we don't want to be moving that bacteria around from an extraction facial. In my experience, that just contributes to more purging and again, spreading of bacteria. So I wouldn't do that with my, uh, you know, clients I've done a lot of extractions on. And I wouldn't do that with a rosacea client because it's too much friction. Instead, I might do something more cooling and calming like little ice globes. But if they're kind of a normal skin type, they want to focus on anti-aging, they're not especially breakout prone, massage is wonderful and it doesn't have to be super long. You could even do the basic facial massage routine you learned in school. The client doesn't know. The key is just making it feel good at the end of the day. Just make it feel good. Okay. They really won't know even if you're just repeating the same three to five movements. They they don't know. They won't remember. Their eyes are closed. They probably haven't studied massage. They just know this feels good or this doesn't really feel that good. Okay. You've done your facial massage and let's say you're concluding the treatment. You would want to apply your finishing products, which I think should always include SPF. And I think it's smart to point out to your client that you have applied SPF to their skin. When you've applied SPF, let the client know. This is something I've just realized through going to get treatments myself. If somebody doesn't tell me or we forget to talk about it, I'm on the drive home wondering. Am I just absolutely ruining the treatment I just got because I don't have SPF on? And it gives me a little bit of anxiety. I don't know if anybody else is like that, but I think it's just a nice courtesy to let somebody know, hey, I've applied sunscreen to you. And it's also kind of a nice way of educating, oh yeah, we should be wearing sunscreen every day, even if you're leaving at four o'clock in the afternoon. The sun is, is still out and you could potentially be absorbing those UVA and UVB rays. Okay, we've applied the sunscreen. I think an eye product and a lip product are just like nice touches. Not necessarily essential, but I think it's just, it's it feels really complete. So I would do a little serum or moisturizer, SPF, an eye product and a lip product. And then I'd end with like a 30 second little facial, uh, not facial, but some sort of massage to just conclude. This is ending. This is wrapping it up. We're bringing it back to where it started. And I think it's nice if your hands can end on their scalp, on their head with just like a firm little, little squeeze at the top or at their shoulders and you push down to end the facial. Something to signal, this is it. This is the end. I feel like a lot of SDs think how do I end this? This is so awkward. It's been quiet. How do I now say this is over? <laughs> it's only awkward if you make it awkward, but there are certain things you can do to signal the facial is over. Maybe it's a little squeeze, little a little massage with maybe three movements. I think three movements feels really complete and just kind of naturally registers. It's like a, it's just like a, you know, that even, not even number, it's not an even number, it's a round number, but it feels, it just feels right, okay? Okay, so you're doing something to signal the end of the facial. If you had a little, a little gong or a little bell, I know some Estes have one of those, that's such a nice conclusion. It might sound kind of cheesy, but people love it. So 
your facial is over. And then, you know, you let them know, okay, we're all done here. I'm going to step out so you can get changed. Please take your time. That doesn't mean they're going to take, you know, 20 minutes, but let them know they can take their time so they don't feel rushed. The last thing you want to do after you've just delivered this amazing, beautiful service is make them feel rushed and like, hey, can you get up because my next client is here and I need you to leave. <laughs> you just want to make it really seamless and let them continue with that relaxation because that feeling when they get off the treatment table is what you've worked so hard for. And that's what leaves them immediately feeling after the facial. I think people know whether they're going to rebook or not. They have the feeling like, I didn't enjoy that. I just wanted to get off the table the whole time or I never wanted to leave and I cannot wait to come back. So you obviously want the latter. And that's really it. I won't go into too much more detail because I've spent a long time on this question, but that is kind of your signature SIG facial. Okay, the next question is mental health for SDs. And man, this is so important to me. I hope I can do it justice. I've really noticed a shift kind of overall and especially in the corporate world a lot of it has to do with the pandemic and us needing to stop everything and realizing once we did that, how fast we were moving as a whole. And I think we all kind of realize like these expectations are insane. The amount of daily effort I'm expending getting to work, responding to emails, being glued to my desk, all of this hustle culture stuff is is, uh, you know, not sustainable for the long term. Now, when it comes to the world of aesthetics, I don't think we've quite gotten there. And I've noticed almost like, I've noticed the lack of mental health and kind of an avoidance of our basic human rights, I've noticed that has become almost something I've noticed SDs brag about. And it makes me a little sad. And when I see posts talking about, I haven't had time to go to the bathroom and, you know, I don't take a lunch and kind of this exhausted burnt out mentality I've noticed it kind of being turned around on our clients and I really think we should take a pause and think about that I I kind of think that's the last thing we want to do right it's not that we have to put on a facade if everything is running perfectly smoothly all the time but especially as business owners we have to understand nobody is going to make us take a lunch break or you know take two seconds to, to use the restroom, nobody's going to carve that time out for us, but us. So I hope this doesn't sound harsh, but I don't feel, I don't feel bad for business owners when they're making those types of complaints. I feel for you and I have empathy, but also at the same time, I think we need to understand the responsibility is on us and it's not only a detriment to ourselves and our own mental health, but it gets directed at the client. And I don't think that's fair. A better thing to do would be to have a look at your business and restructure it in a way where 
you can sustain a lifestyle that is enjoyable and reasonable. It's not reasonable, and I just mean this completely logically, it's not reasonable to think you can sustain a lifestyle working five, six, seven days a week with no lunch break and no time to use the bathroom. You can't do that forever, so you either make changes now when you still have the opportunity to correct and and benefit from that, or you can make the change when you have to, when your body is completely burnt out and you have to close your doors, worst case scenario, because of the burnout. A smarter thing to do is look at your business and restructure it in a way that accommodates your basic human needs and hopefully beyond that. If you have to take one less client, so it means with that adjustment, you have time to take a lunch and use the bathroom when you need to, raise your prices. I also think we put way too much pressure on the idea of raising our prices and how our clients are going to react. I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion, but I don't think raising our prices has to be something we bring up with so much negativity and stress and like basically apologizing for it and communicating all this guilt. Prices are rising everywhere. It is not only understandable, it's completely logical that we too would raise our prices and that we need to accommodate our basic human needs. What's not fair is to avoid making those changes and then direct any exhaustion at your clients who are just coming to you because they enjoy your services and find you helpful. So I just don't think the right approach is burning ourselves out and, and you know, having that come through in the business, which it does. So I'm all for people raising their prices as long as they have the demand for it, reasonable demand for it. I think you probably deserve it. And this is something I've also learned from Douglas. He says this all the time. He raised his prices and not only did nobody object, but he actually gained more clients from it. So I think we need to be less afraid and less apologetic about that. And we have to understand that we should have a long-term approach to business. And that includes our mental health. There's so many ways where our mental health is affected as estheticians and as care providers. We are affected by the daily energy and needs of our clients, and we have to work extra hard to protect our energy because not only are we dealing with our own things in our private lives and our own emotions and stresses, we're taking on a lot of stress from the people who come to us because as much as we love them, they feel safe and relaxed. And typically that can be a space for people to communicate, you know, what's going on in their lives. And that can be a heavy emotional burden to handle if you don't protect your energy and you don't have boundaries around your mental health. And I think a lot of us are empaths 
it can be challenging to, because you want to help so much and do everything you can. And I think initially as empaths, we think the way to help people is to say, give all of your burden to me. Let me take that on. But the best thing you can do is really listen and be a safe space for people while protecting your own energy and not taking on, you know, any negative emotions or even just a bad vibe from somebody. We just have to really protect our energy and be careful about what we take home and take on. It can also be very challenging, I think, as an esthetician, and I think we're notorious for this because there's so much physical energy that goes into giving treatments. I think a lot of us, when we come home at the end of the day from giving treatments all day, we are exhausted (laughs) emotionally and physically, and this can be where we neglect our own needs. That's not something that we want to do, and that's not the way to be a five-star provider because you can only sustain that for so long. And I've talked about this before. I had a very different life before I found aesthetics. I worked in a corporate environment and it was still very much about the hustle culture. We weren't having conversations about mental health yet. And I assumed my worth was assigned to my performance and my progress. And especially as somebody who is always striving uh, to perform really well, I place a lot of value on that. And the reason I burnt out in that job was because all of my self-worth was dependent on that performance. And I wasn't filling my own cup and thinking of ways I could truly give back to myself. It was just all about literally depleting and draining myself so that I could felt like I I contributed or was operating at a certain level. But it wasn't sustainable. And one day I found myself really unhappy and confused. I was so confused why this job I was in was no longer really making me happy because it was something I envisioned for the longest time. I watched the Academy Awards and the Emmys so religiously. I was so obsessed with celebrities and I kind of still am. I'm a big pop culture person. So finding myself at these media companies I had worshipped for so long, it was a lot of imposter syndrome and feeling like I didn't deserve to be there. So I better work harder than anyone else and I better not take time for myself because that would get in the way of my progress. And I wanted to be a top performer and I wanted my managers to be really proud of me. So all of my needs always came second to the needs of the job and the needs of the company. I slept with my phone. If anyone has ever worked in a news environment or a breaking news environment or media in general or social media, when it comes to news, basically being first and being accurate is everything. So when we got a story and it was verified, that had to be blasted on social media. We could not miss a beat. A lot of times, and this is where I relate to those SDs who feel like they can't take a bathroom break. I was afraid to go to the bathroom because I was afraid a story would break 
and it would be all my fault. And this happened, this had happened to me where I'd miss a, a, a story because I was attending to a basic human need. I was getting a lunch or I was in the bathroom and I came back and something had broke and the entire company was upset at me because the story didn't break fast enough on Twitter. And I would feel so horrible about myself. I felt like I let everyone down. And later, now that I'm removed from the situation, I realized that wasn't my fault. The company wasn't structured to allow for my basic human needs. And I never asserted that I had basic human needs, which you you would hope that they would consider. But there was no other social media person because I was taking on all of that burden. I never made it known that that was an issue for me because I couldn't go to the bathroom. <laughs> what would have been a better outcome and what have would have been realistic was to assert before it was too late, before I was too burnt out, that I needed help and I needed support and I needed somebody who could, you know, fill my spot while I was attending to my basic needs. And had I done that, I would have had more longevity and I would have I wouldn't have been so burnt out because I was able to give back to myself and I wasn't feeling like I was being compromised. When you feel like your basic needs are being compromised on a regular basis, we are human beings and we can only sustain that for so long. And I do think there is sort of this bragging right that a lot of SDs have when it comes to not taking breaks. And I hope I can be part of changing that. I have had many careers before this. And when I started my virtual practice, I made a commitment to myself that I'm going to do what I can for my own mental health to avoid the burnout. And I think the best way we can avoid burnout is really proactive. If you've ever kind of experienced a meltdown, which I absolutely have, and, you know, it used to happen a lot more frequently, but looking back, there's only so much I could do in the moment once I reached that point of having a meltdown. There's only so much I could do for damage control. The best way to mitigate that that meltdown is really preventative and that I think will help make that meltdown feel less severe and occur less often. So it really takes prevention and the best way I know to prevent a period where you feel like your mental health is just, you know, really at a breaking point, the best way to do that is adding daily practices for yourself in your day. And I do this actually with my clients because so many skin conditions are driven by stress So I build in time for my clients to relax. And I think it's the same for estheticians. And I'm trying more to practice what I preach. So I try to build in daily routines. And this is not a new concept, but I think having daily routines that you commit to on a daily basis in the morning and at night, maybe it's meditation, maybe it's deep breathing, maybe it's a little yoga or stretching, even a walk listening to this podcast a little bath, journaling, 
going to therapy, whatever it may be for you. Maybe it's an hour at a foot spa. It doesn't matter. Doing those daily things, I think, helps to build self-confidence and committing to those daily practices for yourself on a regular basis, I think is really important for self-worth and knowing that you are so worth that time and we really serve everyone else best when we're at our most grounded place. So don't wait for a for it to get to a state of emergency to try to remedy things. And then it's like, at that point, you really don't want to do those things. It's more so about building building them into your daily habits and making them part of your lifestyle. So don't underestimate the self-care. I feel like that word gets thrown around a lot and it's almost losing its meaning, but it's just so, so important. And if you're not addressing your basic needs, start there. Take the lunch break. I know we want to get out early and get home and back to, you know, get back to our beds and, and you know, our lives at home. But take the lunch break. Take that time to go on a little walk around the neighborhood. Bring meals. I was notorious for doing this in SD school and in workplaces. And it shocked me how novel it was to other estheticians that I brought meals. I'm not talking about um, five or six meal preps. I'm talking about when I went to SD school and were there from 3 to 11 p.m., I would typically bring two meals. I'm somebody who I, I need regular meals. I feel like I get low blood sugar. I'm just not at my best when I am hungry. So I would pack meals for myself. I might have been the only one out of 30 people on some days. And it was almost something that was like a little bit strange because people were confused. Why would I spend the time to make myself, you know, healthy, balanced, tasty meals that were going to fuel me when I could just go to the cafeteria or, you know, you could just skip, skip dinner because we're at school and we're busy anyway, or we could just go to the vending machine. That didn't work for me. And we have to look at ourselves and understand what makes us feel good. What makes us feel balanced for me? Meals are so important. And I just know I wouldn't be at my best trying to get through five or six facials a day without having that sustenance. I would bring my hydro flask and I would hide it under the treatment table and I would drink it in between clients. I would do some stretches. I would listen to speakers who inspired me on my lunch breaks or when I was driving to work. I would wake up an hour early to go to Pilates before work because it made me feel more flexible and strong in my treatment. So I hope we don't neglect the mental health and the self-care because, again, I just don't think there's any way. I don't think there's any way to have longevity if we're not attending to our own needs. So don't neglect yourselves for the sake of your clients. I promise you, you will be a better esthetician if you take the time to fill your own cup up. What to do while still in SD school to best prepare for future careers. 
I think this also depends on the person. I think midway through the semester, I started to get more curious and I was just craving more information. This was also the same time Michelle Phelan came into my class and she gave a really insightful lecture. I don't even remember what she talked about, but she was the first higher education person I'd ever heard speak. And I was so fascinated by her. I just immediately ended up signing up for classes. And again, this was like halfway through the semester. So I had a little bit of a foundation, but I was also curious to learn more. So for me, that was the right time, but everyone I know learns differently. And I'm hesitant to say that's kind of the right time for everyone because I see how school could be overwhelming for a lot of people, especially if you also have a full-time job on top of going to school. So it really depends on you and when it feels right. What I think is cool now is that education is even a lot more accessible than it was three or four years ago when I was in school. So as long as you feel like, you know, you can take on more information, there's a lot of great resources out there that are available, you know, in webinars or just through podcasts, even just on Instagram. I feel like it's almost gotten competitive in terms of how much educational info we can put out there as SDs. And that's another area of mental health is the constant comparison and what we see on Instagram and feeling like we just need to be machines and and putting out more and more information. But when it comes to education, no right or wrong time, but I do want to stress, I think we all graduate feeling like, "Eh, that was kind of the basics. I kind of expected a little bit more. I don't know as much as I hoped I would know. And that's where education and higher education comes into play. There's never a time where we stop educating Even though I feel like I can confidently treat anyone who comes to me to some degree, I can help them in some way. There was definitely a time where I didn't have that confidence and I didn't have enough higher education yet. And I remember the first time somebody came to my spa and or the place I was working at and I felt like, I don't know exactly how to treat this. To me, that was kind of the that kind of lit the fire where I was like, I never want to be in the situation again where I feel nervous and I feel like I have to tell somebody I I don't know how to help them. So for me, I never wanted to feel like that. So I did pursue higher education of conditions like acne, rosacea, melasma, treating darker Fitzpatrick types, All the things we really don't spend enough time on in school can be very, very important. And you never never know who's going to walk into your practice. So for me, more education makes me feel more confident. It makes me feel good. It's not always easy to take the time to watch a webinar, although it's, it's easier than ever because you can do it, you know, while you fold the laundry or something else. But I never wanted to feel doubtful. And that's not to say, you know, I know everything, but now I'm confident with with pretty much any any condition. Um, and if I need to refer out, I will. But I have, you know, a good understanding of those of those more complex skin conditions, and I do think that's really important. And that's a good place to start with education too. 
I've noticed I get a lot of questions about what ingredient courses to take. And that's super, super important. Although I feel like sometimes we don't make the point enough that it's about formula and there's a difference between formula and ingredients. And you definitely want to understand your ingredients. So that's a great place to start. But I think understanding skin conditions is also highly, highly valuable. Even acne, I feel like I can never take enough acne courses. They're all a little bit different. And I think that's a great place to start too because that's probably the number one condition you're going to see as an SD. I love Douglas Preston's acne course, so I will link that as well. He has a webinar available. So if you go to his store, which I'll link, you'll see there's an in-person training and there's also a webinar. So I'll put those links below. So really no right time for education, but when you start to feel like you could handle it, that's probably a good time. The last question I'm going to answer is confidence in treating darker Fitzpatricks. So the key to this really is education and getting more education because, again, I don't think we covered enough in school. Joelle Lee has some of the best training materials on treating darker Fitzpatrick types. So I highly recommend her courses. I think to simplify, which there's definitely nuances. So again, I love Joelle's courses and I'll link that below too. The key with darker skin types is the prep. So it's not necessarily that a darker fits can't use the same face wash as a lighter fits. It's really about the prep and suppressing an overactive melanin response to trauma. So when it comes to things like more aggressive peels or even home care, you want to make sure it's kind of a, a slow build approach to getting them to getting them on those products or to having those treatments. You would probably, I mean, I stress this for everyone. I think it should be a slow build approach for really every type of client, especially if you don't know them. You don't want to go 0 to 100. I would rather undertreat and overdeliver than overdo it and then they complain because we've overdone it. So with treating darker fits, I think things like vitamin C, a terazinase inhibitor, you know, gentle AHAs to start, especially before your more aggressive treatments, or you know, I, I really don't recommend too many harsh harsh scrubs or physical exfoliants to my clients of color. Um, I focus more on gentle exfoliation and the prep and really getting them on a terazinase inhibitor to keep those melanocytes more chilled out. And again, not going straight into an aggressive salicylic peel if you've never seen them before. And I think you really want to do your due diligence when using chemical peels on clients of color. And it's not to say they can't use them. They certainly can. But I would prefer to get a client of color on some good home care and home care that I know and trust and that is going to fit with my protocols and the products I were using in the treatment room. Um, 
so even if they're using a terazinase inhibitor from Sephora or wherever, I would want to make sure they're on my products and my professional products and they're using that home care consistently before we go to more intense treatments. And I think that's a, a wise methodology for really any client. I, that's why I see such such great results with my virtual clients is because I know their whole routine top to bottom and it's been provided by me. Not all at once, but they've got, you know, their bases covered and they have the right active ingredients for them and their skin type and the whole routine is closely managed by me. That alone will get them great results, but definitely important important as your insurance not your real insurance, but kind of kind of like a skincare insurance policy for those most those more aggressive treatments. I clearly can't talk, so it's probably a good place to stop and end the episode. If you guys got some value out of this one, it would mean so much if you left me a little review on iTunes or if you are sharing on stories. That means so much to me too. Please tag me at my SD Tessa. I love seeing you guys getting something out of the podcast. That's what makes it worthwhile to me. So thank you guys so much for listening and tuning in. I love you and I'll talk to you in the next episode.